Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Rob Snow White. This is my Fly Fishing Educational Podcast. This is episode 208, Fly Fishing Cape Cod 101, specifically for striped bass, with Anthony Lombardo of the Bears Den Fly Shop. And I want to thank you because if you're listening, you went out of your way to download this podcast. You wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in the stories and the information that I'm bringing to you. We are going to give a big thanks to the Bears Den Fly Shop, bearsden.com. This podcast with Anthony, we're going to talk about the location and history of Cape Cod, the fishing and packing list. The seasonality of the bait fish that you will find there to match the hatch, some local patterns, and we will discuss some miscellaneous things one might need to know when it's traveling to Cape Cod. Enjoy this one because it helped me prepare for Cape Cod, and I learned a lot of really cool new information, and I hope a lot of it is new to you too. This could be a cool one. All right, Anthony, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Anthony Lombardo. Uh, I'm working at the Bears Den Fly Shop in uh, Taunton, Massachusetts. Probably for well, the last three or four years anyway. I've been doing their uh, free Wednesday night fly fishing group for the last two years. Basically a free guided trip around the Cape. Uh, open to anybody on Wednesday nights while the striped bass are here. Really? Uh, I might take you up on that next week. Yeah, no problem. As long as the uh, long as the weather is good, uh, yeah. we'll be out there and I'm hoping, a lot of times. Lose, I'm hoping we lose power while we're doing this. We, we had up to 11 <laughs> inches of rain locally over two days, and now we're getting five to six in the next two days. Uh, so the power, the trees are falling everywhere. Yeah, so. it doesn't sound like fun. I mean, up, up here we haven't had any severe weather lately, but uh, it's been hot. So um, fishing's been uh, kind of slow during the day, but nighttime, early morning, you know, dawn, it's, it's been great. All right, we'll get into that. So you're a, a local up there, I take it? By uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, um, moved to Massachusetts about 10 years ago. Yeah, I've been fishing the Cape ever since. Uh, I started out uh, actually guiding for trout in the western part of the state where we have uh, a few tailwaters. Uh, I just really fell in love with fly fishing and uh, got into the industry. And, uh, once I you know, started hooking striped bass on a regular basis, I uh, can't really think about much else. <laughs> Man, I'm looking forward to next week. I don't expect to catch anything, but all of this is going to help me and others that get there. All right, so you are at Bears Den, and if I'm driving towards Cape Cod, how far is that shop off the road? Uh, it's about five minutes off the road. And if you're coming from 
the north or basically anywhere except taking 195, you're going to go right by it. So uh, right off 495, exit 9, and uh, yeah, it's about five minutes from the highway. So you're mm-hmm. going to pass us. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I'll see you on Saturday. Uh, let's see. So where exactly is Cape Cod located? Um, the southeastern part of the state. Um, it's separated from the mainland by the Cape Cod Canal, which is uh, basically a seven-mile man-made uh, trench that they dug during the early 1900s. They talked about making it during the 1800s, but didn't really get underway. I think it was 1909. It took about seven or eight years to dig. Uh, it's about 480 feet wide, seven miles long. And what it does is it turns a 135-mile voyage around the Cape uh, to a seven-mile voyage wow. through, basically. The, uh, the canal of Panama, so they'd have to go yeah, around. Yeah, pretty much. So I yeah, was not so even familiar there was a canal there until I started researching Cape Cod fishing on Instagram. I'd never heard of the canal. The canal's pretty much a mecca of striped bass uh, surf fishing. Uh, from what I hear, you know, Montauk in that area has kind of slowed down a little bit the last couple of years. Uh, the canal's really picked up. It's not an easy place to fish. Uh, fly fishing-wise is really only a couple spots where you can get – deep enough with the fly and, uh, you know, be able to wade out into the water. The current moves pretty quick. It's about six miles an hour um, almost all the time. And it is 480 feet wide. The fish kind of tend to stay either way out in the middle or down almost 20, 30 feet. So uh, you can do it with the fly rod. Guys can, you know, they use two-hand rods and, uh, you know, T11, T20, you know, big, huge sink tips. Uh, some guys even will chuck and duck a uh, – you know, like a, a regular conventional lure on the end of a running line with a leader just so they can fight the fish on the fly rod. But uh, it, it is a mecca of striped bass fishing. They're regularly 30 to 50 pounders are pulled out of there. Does it stack up with boats? Like no. I imagine you, kayakers. You, you, uh, no, kayaking is, from what I understand, is not allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot fish in the canal. Uh, it's, it's run by the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. Um, they kind of maintain it and regulate everything. So really, it's just it it's used for what it was intended to. Just a you know just just a throughport for yeah for big big ships. Uh, you'll see cruise ships through there, huge tanker ships go go through there. But it is lined with a bike path on either side. Uh, it's rocks. They can be steep, um, but you know guys will pile on the rocks on either side of the canal. And when the fishing is good for seven miles. Uh, it can be almost shoulder to shoulder. Wow. It's pretty amazing. That's fascinating. And maybe I've read about that in an article and skipped over it, but I had no recollections. That's fascinating. Maybe we'll take a stop there just to look at it. Yeah, it's, it's worth a stop just to, just to look for sure. Interesting. All right. And how far east? The Cape is going to be much further east where I am in northern Virginia. So I imagine sunrise earlier, sunset earlier. We were just out in Columbus, Ohio, and it didn't get dark 10 o'clock at night because we were further west. I'm going further east. Do I have to expect the opposite? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say sunset right now is uh, going to be right around uh, 8, 8.30 around there, I believe. Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't have a calendar for me. But, yeah, sunrise is uh, – I mean, you can get some daybreak. Uh, I'm starting to peek through right around 4 o'clock in the morning right now. So, I mean, that's probably prime time to get out there. I'd, oh. I'd say – Go, go an hour before the actual posted sunrise, and you'll have some twilight, and you'll be able to fish. How many days do you get out there a week? Uh, some weeks, five to six. Uh, on average, probably about four. Oh, it's fantastic. Good for you. And what makes the, the fishing so special on, on Cape Cod? Is it just the position out on the Atlantic? Uh, I've always known it's that... this famous striper location. I think it's got more to do with all the inlets and bays and estuaries we have. It's the whole Cape is littered with them uh, from, you know, the, the south side all the way around up the north side, all the way to Provincetown. You can find inlets and estuaries uh, every couple miles. And what those are going to do is they're going to hold a ton of bait fish and even some holdover stripers. And it just gets water flowing you know that they come in to chase the bait fish and uh as long as you can you know 
get access to any of the inlets or an outlet and you know you can you can fish those uh, you can swing flies in there you're gonna have you know left to right current or right to left current that's, all the how we, that's how we have it around here in dc on the virginia side they're tidal creeks and it's fairly hard banks on either side and you just get out there with a sink tip and cast across and just swing a clouser through there and they'll crush it yeah that's that's pretty much uh you can find that all, all over cape cod and uh, the one good thing about Massachusetts is uh, there's an old law. Uh, I think it's more of a navigation law than anything else, but uh, nobody owns the beach. So as long as you're fishing below the high water mark, which is usually really high up on the beach, you can walk wherever, in front of somebody's house, behind somebody's house. As long as you can get access to the water, you can go right up and down the beach. Awesome. I read in, a, I think it was Fly Fisherman. American Angler is a musky article, and they're saying this weekend is going to be the snake moon or something. I don't know if that's the name of it. Anything special with the full moon coming this week? More uh, higher moons? Yeah. Yeah, moons can play a, a huge role here. Um, I, I love the new moon, to be honest with you, um, but the full moon is definitely comes a close second. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot more water movement, and uh, water movement moves the bait fish around. And it's going to move the big fish around as well. Um, the, something unique to the cape i mean there's a couple spots in the south side of the cape uh, we're up in you know up in the bays and the estuaries you're only going to have like a two to three foot tide swing from high to low uh, on, on the north side of the cape uh, there's a couple creeks where during a regular moon cycle you're going to have a seven to eight foot you know tide swing uh, you get a new moon in there that seven or eight foot is going to jump up to almost a 13 foot tide swing wow. so you have you have the same you know same volume of water in the in the estuary and uh it almost doubles during those during you know during those moon tides and uh you know the water's going to move in and out in the same same time period but it's it's just twice as twice as quick and twice as fast and a lot of the bait fish can't handle it and that's when you'll see the you know the blitzes happen right out in front of these right out in front of these creeks where where they meet the ocean they'll just get crushed i'd be happy just seeing that even if i didn't have gear with me which is not going to happen I've never seen a big <laughs> blitz of bait fish before. Like I saw some a couple small ones on the Chesapeake, but nothing what I read about and seen photos of up in uh, New yeah, England. I mean, un- unfortunately, July and August uh, isn't going to be the best time to maybe see a blitz, just because of how hot it gets during during the day. The the kind of the blitzes will happen, but they'll be during the dark. You know, they'll be at night or really early in the morning. Uh, maybe just just before sundown uh that's going to be a best chance to see one to fish kind of move offshore during the uh during the day period now what is the seasonality can you guys fish all winter i know so last winter parts of the ocean froze solid up there uh yeah uh, but there are holdover fish believe it or not um in select locations on cape cod um in connecticut they definitely have a a huge uh holdover you know, population going out, especially the who's the tonic. This guy's guiding there all, all winter for all over bass. Um, so it seems seems like every year uh, we're seeing more and more hold over fish or the fish moving, you know, farther and farther north starting to uh, to hold over. So, yeah, you can target them during the winter months, but um, it's going to be all, all small fish. You're watching the, uh, be the Patriots play anyway, right, on the weekends? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Giants fan, so. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but anyway, yeah, they're going to be sluggish during the winter. Um, I mean, if you want to wet a line, it's it's worth giving it a shot. But um, during the winter here on the Cape, actually, uh, the trout fishing is unbelievable, and that's kind of what I do all winter long. So there's – are they native brook trout that are there? Uh, yes, so there's native actually sea-run brook trout that are here. Um, and if uh, there's a sea-run brook trout coalition, and a lot of the, the TU chapters around here do a lot of restoration on a – few select streams um you know on on cape cod that have this native population of brook trout that goes out to the ocean and comes back which is pretty fascinating this is the state actually does a great job of stocking all the kettle ponds which are unique to cape cod with uh trout in the fall and in the spring um the kettle ponds are basically uh when the last glacier receded there was big chunks of ice left over uh, took them a long time to melt so they were left with these big, you know, 90 to 100 foot indentation, basically just holes all over the Cape. I think there's over a thousand of them, and, uh, and so being that deep, the water stays cold all uh, all summer long. Uh, the trout hold over. Yeah, you can run into some five six pound brown trout uh, 
you know, they goodness. come up there in the winter in the mornings. And, uh, yeah, it's a great fishery. You said kettle holes? Yep, kettle. Like, uh, you know, like, like, like the pot. Cause that's what, yeah, that's what, that's what they're shaped like. Uh, they're all pretty much weightable, too, around, around the whole edge of the pond. You know, you just get in the water and make a big circle. Just, you know, a lot of uh, English-style trout fishing techniques where you know, full sinking lines and, uh, you know, people throw, uh, you know, woolly buggers. They, they usually do well when the fish are first thrown in. A lot of times you'll be throwing like a breakaway indicator rig, uh, you know, 12, 13 feet down. Uh, chronomids, things like that have been working really well. For such a salty place, that sounds fascinating. There really is a lot of fishing around here. Do I need a, a salt life sticker on my car to be hanging out up there and fishing? No. Um, bear's den sticker would be nice, but uh, salt life, no, you can. You'll, okay. you'll be fine. <laughs> I see people in the Midwest have salt life on their cars, and I'm just like, I, is that because the the roads when it snows, or are you just a transplant from the coast? Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so. Uh, you mentioned more holdover fish. Has there historically been a downfall of the, the populations? Like we had down here in the Chesapeake Bay, there was a moratorium in the 80s because they were just all fished out and the water quality was terrible. Anything like that up oh, yeah. there? When I was a kid, um, I mean, I'm, I'm 37 now. Uh, growing up, there wasn't – I mean, I don't remember catching striped bass at all. It was basically you go out to the beach, hope the bluefish come in close enough, and uh, if they do, then – you're going to catch fish, but, uh, yeah, they were definitely far and few between. I think after the moratorium, things really picked up and, uh, you know, I, that's kind of the love hate relationship with the Cape Cod canal. That big, huge biomass of fish goes through there and, um, it does get so many people and on a good day, you'll see a lot of, you know, 30 to 50 pound fish dragged up on the rocks oh. taken. And, uh, you know, that's our, uh, that's our breeding class of fish. You know, the, the breeders are gone. The, you know, it won't be long before we have another crash. But, I mean, most people follow the, uh, follow the regulations and take one fish. I mean, I mean, if it, if it was up to me, I'd say, you know, keep a 28 to 30-inch fish. You know, it's going to taste better, and, you know, you keep the breeders in there. But, I mean, they're, they're entitled to it, and they pay for their license. So, I mean, it's almost one of those things, and until it happens, you know, nobody, unfortunately, nobody cares enough. And having that canal, do the fish – so they're taking a shortcut. Are they less spread out around the Cape, or did other fish just fill that niche? Um, no, the smaller fish are more spread out around the Cape. Uh, for whatever reason, the bigger fish, from what I can see, kind of flock to the canal, and they'll flock to the area in between Martha's Vineyard and uh, in, in Cape Cod. They kind of call it like middle ground area. Uh, there's a huge group of uh, you know big fish out there, but you need a boat. To, to get out there that's you know a lot of fishing uh squid uh, patterns and uh you know big bait fish patterns in the rips out there off a boat uh with the canal i think it's the uh the bait fish that bring the big fish in you'll see schools of you know two three thousand mackerel swim right by your feet in, in, in the canal huge schools of squid go through the canal uh some nights you'll see them jumping out of the water there's just so many of them are uh, they getting sucked through with the tide or are they exploring that themselves I think they're probably exploring it themselves. I can't really see them getting sucked through. I mean, it's it's the openings in the you know the 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 in the in and the out of the canal is not very wide, so it's kind of like they almost have to you know want to go through it. It's, they're not going to get sucked out from the. I mean, it's a strong current, but I don't think it's going to suck bait fish through from one side to the other. Okay. Now with this increase of fish is that why there's more seals now and then there's apparently more sharks i don't know if that's why there's more seals i know historically you know seals were hunted and they're not anymore uh i don't know if it's the population getting back to what it would naturally be but i know if you go uh down in the chatham area it's uh, monomoy island uh morris island uh if, i mean if you take like a cruise to monomoy island it's loaded with seals and you can see them from google earth yeah, I mean, you zoom in on that island. The really? beach is just seals. Yeah. Did they ever I mean, steal fish? I haven't really heard of anybody getting a fish stolen by a seal, like off their line. I know they definitely eat striped bass. Uh, they're definitely bringing the sharks in, though. It's kind of hard to say if they really, you know, steal fish. But they're, yeah. they're doing a number on the, they're doing a number on the, uh, you know, on the fish. They have to eat their weight in fish, from what I understand, every every day. 
Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of, you know, bait fish around and a lot of scup and black sea bass and things like that for them to eat as well. So, At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. You know, whether it's they're eating just stripers, I don't, I don't think so. But, you know, it, it's something you could see with the increase in seals becoming a problem in the future if the population of stripers, you know, starts to decline. All right. Also, do you mind that this is not really about, like, blues? I'm more interested in the stripers. Does no, that make well, me like a, a striper snob or something? I just don't want to deal with the teeth and the yeah, damage. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't. Okay, I don't blame you. People have lost fingers. The uh, bluefish. Uh, they are a great fighting fish, though. I mean, for for their size, what I mean, out of fish I've caught, probably the best best fighting fish out, out of them all. Um, if I tail they're one, just mean. Is it going to, like, reach around and bite me? I don't think so. I would just have a pair of those plastic uh, lippers on you, though. Okay. Uh, you know, you get that in their mouth, and you'll get the hook out, no problem. But right. I think that's a good thing to to have around. Uh, I think in general, especially you know, you catch a, a really big striper, uh, it's it's going to help with that as well. What are they called? You, and are they in your shop? You said plastic uh, lippers. Yeah, they kind of look like a pair of vice grips uh, that are uh, made out of plastic, and okay. uh, you go along the inside the bottom jaw, and you kind of lock it down. And it just makes handling the fish, you know, that much easier. You don't have to take the fish out of the water. You can, you know, get a hold of them by that and inside the water. The mouths can be slippery, especially the older fish. You know, they don't really have that rough, rough patch along the bottom lip. Um, it's like my dog's pretty... losing his teeth. He's old. Yeah. The old fish, they and, get their teeth worn down, huh? Yeah, I guess it depends what they're eating, too. I mean, the ones that are grinding down crabs and lobsters and, you know, a lot of crustaceans, it happens more so than the ones that are... I guess feasting on squid and mackerel and things like that. They're pretty opportunistic That's fish. That's pretty so. cool. I learned as a kid that if elephants wear down their teeth, they'll starve. They can't chew anything. After a certain age, they're, they're they just all that chewing for sixty years. Their teeth are polished, and they can't eat anymore, and they'll starve to death. These old striped bass get their gums all worn down. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they really need them though. You just <laughs> see what they yeah, can swallow. Small. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned Google Earth earlier. What should I be looking for? I'm doing DIY. I'm not hiring a guide. So am I looking for, you said, where the, the mouths, so the, the the creek mouths come out into the beaches? Should yes, I be looking they, at that? And do I just yeah, say, that, hey, that one looks fishy? What, what should I be looking for to fish on, say, like Monday morning when I'm there? Uh, well, this, this time of year, I would definitely say the beaches on the – North side of the the, the Cape um, are going to, you know, produce better than the ones on the south. So, like, beaches and sandwich and uh, Barnstable and, and that area are probably going to do uh, a little, you know, Brewster area are going to do a little bit better than the ones down in Falmouth and, you know, uh, Woods Hole area uh, just because of the, the water temperature. But, uh, yeah, looking at Google Earth, uh, I would try to find the, the biggest estuaries and bays that you can find on there and then look for where that inlet empties out. You know, the bigger the estuary, the bay, the more bait fish are going to be in there, the more water is going to swing in and out of there, and that's what's going to draw the stripers close to shore. Right on. Do I need a switch rod if I have one? Or overhand casting, I should be all right? It's becoming more and more popular. Um, We see that a lot in the shop. Guys, you know, want to save their shoulders or they're getting older or just just for the ease of it – kind of generate the same line speed as you would with a double haul without having to actually, you know, perfect that double haul. Right, I'll uh, pack that too. We'll get some other packing yeah, list in a moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing I like about the switch rod is it, it's going to allow you to throw, you know, 450 to 500 grains, uh, which is really going to help in the wind. Okay. And it's going to help turn over, turn over the bigger flies. Right on. Do you have certain beaches that if someone comes into the shop and they're like, hey, I'm going striper fishing, we're – you know, we have the five local trout streams and the two rivers for smallmouth here. Is there a typical place that most people fish that we should avoid while we're there? Like, does someone come into your store and they're like, I just want the place that's the easiest 
parking to walk into that is usually predictable to catch fish. Are there places like that? Um, there are. But the good thing about Cape Cod is it's pretty much uh, a spot to fish, no matter where you, you know what your destination is or where you're gonna where you're gonna stay. Like I said, there are those inlets and bays all over the Cape. Um, during the summer, the only thing you're gonna run into is parking problems during the day. If you're there early morning before the beach is open, you'll be fine. You can park in any of those lots. Um, once the beach is closed, you're around five or six. You're not gonna have any problem uh, parking in you know in any of those lots as well. Um, there's not too many you know, fishing only beaches. Most of the beaches around here are going to be, you know, loaded with sunbathers during the day. Um, that's kind of why we, you know, myself and, you know, a lot of people I fish with will stick to those kind of, uh, you know, inlets and outlets and, uh, you know, places you have to walk. Maybe you have to walk a mile down the beach to get to the inlet or, you know, you got to walk a half a mile. Um, that's going to keep the, the bathers away. It's going to keep the spin fishermen away. Uh, you know, a lot of those places are kind of the best places you can find to, to fish. So, I mean, yeah, there's not really a certain place where we send people. Uh, you know, they give us a town they're staying in, and we'll do our best to hook them up with a beach. Uh, it's not too many secret spots, you know, around Cape Cod where, I imagine. you know, it's kind of, especially with Google Earth now, you, you can pretty much, you know, see what's going on everywhere. And, you know, you can zoom down in the street, see if there's a beach way there. And like I said, with the law of, you know, being able to just walk on any beach as long as you're below the high water line, it's, basically just getting on the beach people even get dropped off just you know walk through i might just uber yeah yeah, that'd be a great way to do it are there any nude beaches i have to watch out for all of a sudden like my back cast might get hooked on something i have Uh, stumbled across nude beaches before (laughs) not that i'm aware of uh i'm sure there's a couple uh scattered throughout but i honestly wouldn't know where they were okay you're not one of them no okay all right, so a packing list. What should I pack with me? I've got a sort of a list of things here. If you want to go through a basic gear list for someone coming uh, to the Cape, like what what rod, reel, outfit should they have or is suggested? I mean, we suggest a nine weight rod. Ideally, uh, maybe if, if you have an eight and a ten weight, bring bring that. Um, Ten weight's going to help you if the wind picks up. If you want to throw huge flies, eight weight would be great for for a calm day. You know, smaller flies. Nine weight's kind of right in the middle. That's kind of where we steer most people because they'll do do a little bit of everything. Uh, intermediate sink lines. Ninety five percent of the time, that's what I'm fishing. You know, just to get you below the uh, the, the wave crest. Uh, you know, so you don't have any slack in your line when you come tight to a fish. If you're going to have a second line, I would say uh, a fast sink tip. Uh, you know, like a 350 to 400 grain sink tip just to uh, get you down in some of the deeper channels or the inlets and outlets when, when the water's really, uh, you know, whipping through. Uh, as far as reels go, I, you don't necessarily need a large job or reel. Uh, it can help, but the stripers don't really, you know, do a huge run. They're not going to run at you. Um, they're going to bulldog you, uh, so you need a strong drag. Uh, you have, If you have a big fish on, you're probably going to be maxing your drag, you know, pretty much close to, to full power to, to slow them down and, you know, get them under control. Leader-wise, uh, if you're fishing, you know, just estuaries, bays, uh, probably 16-pound to 20-pound leaders will be fine. Uh, if you're going to try to get them on the flats, which is kind of a whole other ball game, um, they can be shy. Uh, I'd probably stay 12 to 16-pound leaders for that. Flats. What would be non-flats fishing? That would be the bays and estuaries? Bays, estuaries, open beaches, uh, flats is basically, you know, just what it sounds like. It, there's spots where, you know, you'll have a whole kind of mile-long area of just two feet deep water, and uh, stripers are kind of cruising that, trying to get out to the channel, and that's you right. kind of intercept them on their way back. And that's the um, famous Monomoy Flats that I've always read and heard about and seen in photographs and yep. everything else. Monomoy's got them. Brewster's got them. Uh, yeah, Barnstable Harbor's got them. It's actually quite a lot of flats around the Cape. And, uh, you know, it's a sight fishing game. And uh, having a boat there definitely helps. Uh, you can wander the flats on foot for miles and, uh, you know, not see a fish. Uh, you know, if you have a boat, it makes things a lot easier. And uh, even then, like, I was out earlier this year. You see schools of 30, 40 big fish swimming by and they don't want anything to do with the fly. Ah, all right. 
Well, I'm going to try it regardless if there's fish in there because I just have to experience that. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. All right. Other things. Stripping basket. I have one. I haven't used it in probably 15 years. I'd definitely bring it. All right. What kind of shoes? I just bought the Orvis Andros Flats Boots. Yeah, those should, those should be fine. I mean, if you're going to try to fish the canal, uh, you're definitely going to want studded rubber uh, How spikes. How far is that from Chatham if I'm going to drive? Uh, it's quite a ways, actually. Uh, probably almost an down. hour. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so I, there's going to yeah, be should... like seven or eight of, or nine of us in one house. So I, I don't think I'll get the car for that long. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something you can stop like on the way down or on the way back. Just yeah. you're going to drive over it. So you can you know, get out there and take a look at it. But, yeah, uh, usually, the you know, those flat hikers should be fine for the most part. If you're going to just stay on the beaches, you know, in uh, you know, shallow areas, uh, they'll be great. Um it can get rocky in, you know, some spots uh, where you'll see inlets and outlets. But for the most part, those shoes should be fine. All right. And you're wearing waders in your recent Instagram pictures. Is that for comfort or because of studs on the bottom? I almost always wear waders. I'm not really sure why. It's kind of something I've always done around the Cape. Uh, I'm usually out in the middle of the night, uh, you know, really early morning. The water can be a little bit cooler. And I'm usually out there, you know, for three, four, five hours at a time basically just to stay dry and and you know in, comfortable i like that sunglasses preference for color up there for the lenses uh, i mean out on the open water if you're on a boat i'd say you know maybe blue mirror green mirror something like that but i'm actually always wearing the uh the new uh sunrise glasses from from costa i, I, just I like sent, them yeah i just all day my, long. Uh, my lens is in to get that the glass ones put in the sunrise mirror yeah, I wish those, I'd those done it great. before this trip, so I could use it. But yeah, just just about anything that's polarized, polar, polarization definitely is. Uh, as long as you have that, you should you should be pretty good. How's the sun this time of year? Um, I middle of day, up? middle of day can definitely be strong. So yeah, if you're going to be on those uh, you know Chatham areas from you know twelve to three o'clock, uh, yeah, you're definitely going to need the sunscreen. I just got those Sims arm sleeves. I'm kind yeah, of excited to try I'm, those out. So I can wear yeah. a T-shirt that flaps in the wind a little bit, get some airflow. Yep. All right. What about the, the ladders I always heard about for the flats up there? I've seen a couple that? guys, uh, you know, carrying them around. Um, it seems like an awful lot of work for me anyway. Uh, the flats are pretty expansive and to, Carry ladder around you all day out there. Just schlep it from spot to spot is not going to be fun. Yeah, it just seems a bit much. I mean, from you know the Monomoy area, from uh, from the you know the most popular parking area out to the channel, you're looking at almost a mile walk uh, as it is. Um, so I mean, to schlep a ladder that whole way. Yeah, and, unless uh, you wrap it in pool noodles and just it flows, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I saw a guy have one built into a backpack earlier this month. Uh, it was it was kind of cool, but uh, again, it, I mean, if if it's that much work, I'm, I'm probably fishing somewhere else. You know? His superpowers: I'm ladder man. <laughs> yeah. I can help cats stuck in trees. I can wade the flats. I'm ladder man. <laughs> and I got my headlamp packed for early morning and late night. Yep, definitely need one of those. Okay. Now, see, so locating fish, we're looking for the rips. What about along jetties, like in that little corner spot? Are they going to? Sometimes, I mean, I haven't found a whole huge, uh, you know, massive stripers along jetties. Like, I know in Rhode Island, a lot of it's, you know, jetty fishing, and, you know, that's where people, you know, kind of flock to. But there's just, it seems like there's more open beaches uh on the cape uh and uh to fish off the jetties it's not really effective w w with the fly rod um you know the especially like the huge long jetties like the one down at woods hall things like that it'd be a lot of spin fishermen there and uh it's just more effective to you know fish the other side of the inlet or you know not off the rocks uh you know where the inlet starts from shore you know, swinging a fly through there. We don't have to worry about tangling with, you know, 20 other guys. 
And then is, with these beaches, I'm just going to kind of camp out for the day, like leave my backpack down beside me, like 30 feet away, and just walk to the water? Yeah, definitely. Oh, this is going to be nice. It's going to be the opposite of my steelhead fishing in winter, where I'm just cold, wet, and miserable, and camp down in one <laughs> spot all day. Yeah. No, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a walking game. It seems that, you know, the more and farther you walk, the uh, better the chance of you hooking up is, too. too. And approaching these fish, if I see them just appear out on the beach, I mean, I've done a little bit of flats fishing, you know, stocking carp, is it the same thing? Just cast in front of them, hope where they're going, they'll pick up on it. Yeah, um, and they're going to be extremely spooky if you see them out, you know, you know, on the, on the beach. And I think that just stems from, you know, when they were younger fish with all, you know, there's a ton of avian predators around and, uh, you know, seals around. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, even though they're, they're big fish, I don't think they realize, you know, that they're, the birds aren't a threat to them anymore. So they're very wary of pretty much everything. You, you put a line over the top of them, they, they're going to be gone. So, right. And then the yeah, ones that are at the mouth of the estuaries, they're going to be, so that's with the sinking line. They're going to be down deep too. They'll be down a little bit deeper. You can definitely use your intermediate line. They'll come up for the fly. But, uh, yeah, as long as there's a lot of moving water over their head and, uh, you know, if, if you can't see them, they're going to be a lot easier to catch than the ones that you can see. Do I need to wear blend into the sky and beach kind of clothes? I wouldn't bother. Right. I haven't seen them be that crazy. All right. So I want to talk about flies now. That's that was my question. Anything else about approaching the fish I should know? Um. Not, not really. I mean, if you do see them on the beach, just uh, yeah, well, like you said, it's like flats fishing anywhere else. You're just be, gonna be, you know, very wary uh, for a fish that's so aggressive and seems to hit anything, you know, in a in a rip or, you know, or in a in an estuary situation. Uh, you get them on the flats, they turn into a whole different fish. Interesting. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about what they're eating up there. It's pretty much sand eels and small bait fish. Uh, yeah, patterns. I mean, depending on the time of year you come, if you were to come early in the season, uh, you know, very end of April, beginning, you know, month of May, they would have probably been on, uh, you know, herring patterns. Um, and uh, that kind of changes um, as the season progresses. Um, it goes from herring to you'll see like the first schools of pretty large bunker come in, uh, you know, Manhattan, and then the squid will come in with them. Uh, after that, you're going to see a lot of, you know, uh, anchovies and silver sides will kind of make their way in with the mackerel. Uh, this time of year, you're starting to see more and more, you know, sand eels. They kind of stay around through the fall. And uh, in the beginning of the fall, that's when you'll see those, you know, those peanut bunker blitzes with them getting flung up on the beach, you know, and then the herring leave and the squid leave again in the late fall. So you'll, you know, kind of go back to those but uh as far as patterns go they're always hitting clousers and deceivers and then there's kind of like this northern new england you know school of flies that originated is i guess in rhode island uh with the roadie fly rotters uh guy by the name of uh kenny abrams and ray bondero uh kenny abrams has a book out called the perfect fish uh, that's kind of the book that popularized all the flat wings and these hair wing flies that everybody's you know, using now, uh, we have a number of local fly tires, uh, tie for the shop, flat wings, uh, Steve Cook and Joe Cadero, probably, you know, two of the best, uh, flat wing tires around the raised fly is always popular. That's named after Ray Bondero. It's basically just a, uh, hair wing fly. You have, you know, a hook with some, uh, body braid on it, uh, some white bucktail, yellow bucktail, olive bucktail, and a uh, peacock on top. You know, flies like that just just seem to crush it all year. Just those you know bucktail style flies. Then out in Montes Vintage, uh, you know, you have Dave Skoke and Jamie Boyle out there. Dave Skoke came up with the mushmouth fly that always kills. Um, you know, Jamie Boyle has a red can squid. That's a great squid fly that always seems to uh, work in the in, in the rips. You know, and, you know, crab patterns are always working. Bob Popovic, you know, influence flies are always working. Uh, you know, surf candies and, uh, you know, his hollow flies have been producing a lot lately. Yeah, yeah just like those classic kind of flies. It really how, gets it done. How important is it to match the hatch or are they more opportunistic? If there's, if they're feeding on 
you throw anchovies at them, but they're only eating sand eels. Are they gonna? Are they gonna notice? Uh, seems like the smaller the fish, the uh, the the less it matters. What's a small it, fish? There's a ton of. Yeah, uh, I'd say small fish is gonna be you know 14 to 18 inches long. Uh, fish like that, you can pretty much put anything in front of them, and they're just gonna they're gonna go for it. You know, the medium-sized fish, you know, I'd say like 18 inches up to keeper size, those are the ones that are going to be really, you know, picky as far as uh, matching the hatch. Uh, and this time of year, the sand eels really do start to come around. Uh, they haven't really... Exactly. I know garden eels. My brother used to do scuba diving research in the Mediterranean and Polynesia with these giant things that would sit like a question mark with their tails in a hole in the sand. That's... What I think of sand eels, these are completely different looking. What? Yeah, I mean, the ones we see mostly are between, I'd say, four and seven inches long. And it's just, you know, they're thin, like almost almost like a Bic pen uh, kind of kind of thinness, uh, you know, white on the bottom, olive to black on on top. and you know when they're eating those, it's it's hard to get them to uh, to to look at other things. I don't know if it's because they're so focused on finding them, or you know who, who knows they you know what goes through their head. Yeah, but they uh, you know once the sand eels come in heavy, uh, you definitely want to be throwing sand eel bags. But they haven't really come in heavy yet. I have They uh, spend some time in the sand. They live in the sand. Uh, yeah, I mean I've I've seen them in in the sand. Uh, I don't know if that's where they, where they get the name from. But, uh, yeah, you definitely see them down in the sand sometimes. Do they live in shallow water? Where do you see them? The deep water? The flats? No, you'll, you'll see them uh, all around your feet. And, uh, you know, and it's funny. You're, when you wade the, uh, the estuaries and the mouths of these creeks and, uh, you know, even inside uh, the bays, um, you always wind up with a cloud of bait fish, you know, seeking refuge behind you. You know, it's almost like, you know, they feel safe. You know, swimming next to you, and then yeah, they'll, they'll just flock to you. You'll, you'll know what the bait is pretty quick. All right, I'm gonna uh, take an aquarium night. net with me then. I want to catch these. Yeah, things. definitely. If if, I mean, if you fish at night, you shine a light in the water, and the fish will just jump out of the water. Um, you know, all over the place. You'll you'll know this bait there r- real quick. Speaking of night fishing, are there places with lights where they they congregate around? We're used to that on the Chesapeake Bay. You find a dock with a bright light. Not so much. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are places. Um, that's one place that's kind of frowned upon, uh, you know, fishing around the Cape was going to be like inside the actual boat harbors where the bright lights will be around the boats. Um, you re- they really don't let you fish off the docks, you know, in between the boats like they do in, you know, some other places I've, I've, that I've visited. Um, it's mostly the same, you know, inlets and outlets and, uh, you know, the same spots you're going to fish. During the day in the spring is where you're going to fish at night, you know, during the summer. It just, you know, it brings the, the bait fish in and then the big fish follow. How important is the fly size? I've been tying up one of the guys at the Jersey show that I've known for years. I told him I was going to Cape Cod, and he's like, I'll be right back. And he brought me this fly. And it looks like the one I just Googled Cape Cod Clouser, and that fly came up. And he's like, it's got to be the size. We talked about this in the Drew Chacon podcast. It's got to be the size of his index finger from his thumb to his fingertip. And I said, well, that's great for your hand, but my hand's different. So if my <laughs> hand's different, if mine is big, my hand's bigger and my fly's bigger, is that going to affect it? If it's a centimeter off? Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com No, I mean, and, and I wouldn't really, you know, I, I would take that with, uh, you know, I'd kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um if you told me you were going to be fishing in the Cape Cod Canal, you know, going for huge fish, you're going to need flies that are almost a foot long. Um, that's kind of what was kind of what we're throwing there. Um, you kind of match the match the size of your fly to the you know the fish 
you know, you're expecting to catch. It's not that they haven't caught big fish on, on small flies, but, uh, you know, if you're really targeting the, the huge fish, uh, you're going to want a nice, you know, big either hollow fly or like a Steve Farrar blend mackerel size fly or even, even like a big squid. But, uh, you know, regular size clouser deceivers, three to four inches long, uh, you'll be fine. If I was going to tie mushmouths, I'd, I'd do them the same, you know, the, the, the same size. Uh, the flat wing flies that I tie up, probably a little bit bigger, uh, maybe five to six inches long, depending on the, the feathers I can find for those. But, yeah, they, they hit them all. So I, I don't think size is, you know, is a huge deal. The only time I've ever seen that come into play is when they're on glass minnows. You know, that can get really frustrating. Um, you know, they'll be like these little one-and-a-half to two-inch size fish. They're almost clear. They don't bite anything else except these little tiny flies. I'm not even going to bother tying them. But what size hooks should I be tying my clousers and sandals on? Uh, anywhere from two to a two-aught. I think you're good. Okay, i got to get bigger hooks. I'm tying them on size ones. I'm not planning on anything bigger than like 20 size- inches. Yes, size size one should be fine. Okay. Like I said, as, as long as you're size two, or, you know, two to right up through two on, you'll be fine with clousers and, and deceivers and sand eels. Your small stripers are what we would consider big on the fly around here. A small for us is six inches long on an eight weight. We get those oh, all yeah, the we time. don't. Yeah, we hardly see any of those around. Yeah, They're pretty much uh, more little yeah. ones. All right, what about dumbbell size? For the clousers, I'm using large. Yeah, medium, large. They're, I mean, you, you you can vary it. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I throw clousers every once in a while, pre, kind of when I'm not catching them or anything else, because for some reason, you know, that that jigging action seems to uh, set them off when when nothing else will. But when I'm tying them, that's when I'm tying medium and large. Um, and we kind of steer people away from. Fishing them, if you know, if they don't have much experience, just because you know how they can have a tendency to break rods. But you know, if somebody like yourself who who knows what they're doing, uh, yeah, I'd stay medium to large. Almost, almost the bigger the better, as far as the the clouser is going to go, because that's the fly that you're going to fish that's going to get you down near the bottom. Okay. Do you have a hook brand preference when you're tying your own flies? Uh, Do you tie your own? Yeah, I do. Awesome. I tie some for the shop as well. It really depends on, on the fly. I mean, there's so many good hooks out there, but, I mean, clousers and deceivers and things like that, I'm pretty much using just the uh, 34007s, flat wings. I kind of go, you know, the just because that's what all the uh, the older guys I've learned from, uh, the Eagle Claw L252s and 3s. Um, that's what I'll tie the flat wings on. But uh, any of the, the really big flies that I'm tying, like uh, squid and mackerel, I'm, I'm using the uh, the uh, 12s, the Gamagatsus. Okay. So kind of go all over the place. Just so, you know, kind of. If I'm gonna bring a mobile fly tying kit, what would I bring with me? I think uh, I'm just looking at tying sand eels and clousers now. So just like bucktails and saddle hackles. We already talked hooks, dumbbells. Yeah, I mean, if if you were just gonna, if you wanted to keep it simple. You could definitely catch fish with just bucktail hooks and thread. Right on. I also have the super clouser material for my sand eels. Yeah, super yeah, just, yeah, super hair works great. Uh, I know Dave Skoke uh, ties a lot of his clousers with that, and uh, you know they definitely crush the fish. Do you have a preference for any UV resins or coatings uh, for the the sand eels, or like the the Bob Popovic style? Yeah, I mean, working at the shop, I was going to have you know, a chance to dabble in all of them. And to be honest with you, uh, when it first came out, you know, there was, you know, it was lacking a little bit, I think, uh, as far as the tackiness of the finished product was. But now they, they seem to all be, all work really well. Um, definitely cut the time down on, uh, you know, on, on making a fly. Uh, the one thing I do with all of them is I still go over the top of them with, uh, you know, either hard as hull or, as, or, or hard as nails type coating, just, you know, just to get that super, you know, clear, clean finish to them. All right. So I, I still think they all have a little tack to them once, you know, even once they're set. Particular colors of bucktail material and feathers? Uh, olive and white, chartreuse and white, um, all white. 
Uh, at night, a lot of people go with black and purple. I used to switch to dark flies at night. Uh, lately, I've just been throwing the chartreuse flies that I have on, and you know, I've been doing pretty much just as well. So I don't really carry two sets of flies around with me anymore. With all these um, questions, somehow I have in my mind that your striped bass are completely different and more educated than the ones we have in the mid-Atlantic, even though they're probably the same fish at different times of year. Somehow I think they're going to outsmart me with my flies. I'm asking all these color and size questions, even though down here no, it, the same stuff. I mean, I really think the biggest thing is, is you know, just getting, getting in front of fish. Uh, if you can get in front of, you know, schooling size fish, you know, anything from, you know, 14 inches up to 28 inches, uh, you're, you're, you're going to catch them. It's, it's, it's really just a matter of finding them, you know, being at the right, right spot at the right tide. Very rarely do we, you know, run into fish that are, you know, that are refusing flies, uh, unless they're on the flats, like I mentioned before, um. I mean, I take the Wednesday night group out, um, and the nights, you know, we're catching fish. Everybody's using different flies. Uh, you know, some nights we're out there, we catch 40 fish. Other nights we go out there, you know, maybe one guy will catch a fish. Maybe two guys will catch a fish. Uh, but like I said, everybody's throwing different stuff, and they're biting all of it. So it's really a matter of, you know, just being there when it's when it's happening. What about dropper flies? Is that legal? Is it needed? It's legal. I know some guys who will swing two flat wings uh, through, you know, to me, it just, it just seems like one more thing that can get screwed up, uh, especially at night where, you know, I can't see my cast a lot of times. Uh, I'm, I'm just fishing the, the single fly. All right. We talked tides, moons. That's about it. Uh, what about precipitation? If it's pouring rain, they're still biting. Are they more likely to, to bite up there in the rain? With the striped bass, uh, I've kind of found it to shut it down a little bit if it's pouring rain. Right before it rains, though, can be excellent. A couple hours before a storm, even even a day before a storm, uh, it seems like they know you know something's about to go on, and uh, it just gets everything moving. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a pretty good you know pretty good patch of rough weather rolling in, and uh, the day or day or two before, the fishing was just incredible. What about someone going on vacation that doesn't have the leisure of picking when they're going to fish? Is there a bad time of day for somebody on vacation or just fish as often as you can when you can? I mean, this this time of year, uh, if you're targeting striped bass, I'd say if you're going to, you know, a time of day that you're not going to want to be out there, if you had to pick one, would be the middle of the day. You'd be better off, you know, sleeping in the middle of the day, staying up all night and, you know, fishing at night. If that's just what you know you want to do to catch fish there's fish out during the day i mean there's scup and sea bass and fluke and sea robins and you know you can spend all day you know trying to catch those things i don't like the but, sea uh, robins they're kind of creepy yeah and there's a lot of them around now too oh, they're so weird looking <laughs> yeah but yeah that's uh you know july and august uh it's those, those are the two months where the fishing during the day seems to seems to slow down you know september and october you get the albies come in you know, so during the day, you know, you can, it's incredible fishing if you can get in front of a school of Alpes. But, um, yeah, this, this time of year, I would say, uh, stick to at night, uh, you know, early morning, uh, right before, uh, sunrise, uh, you know, uh, and then the, the sunset time period. It's really just that middle of the day period. It's going to be tough. Um, if you have a boat, you can get out there, you know, and fish the rips and, uh, you know, you catch fish during the day. But from shore, July and August is, is, is tough. All right. Do I have to worry about being caught anywhere when the tide comes in? Uh, a lot of the flats uh, fishing, you it can be deceiving. I know uh, you said you're going to you know the Montemoy Morris Island area. Yeah, that flat can fill up behind you. Uh, I, I would just just be careful, uh, especially with the you know with the full moon coming up. Are you gonna have more water moving in and out than than normal? So. That flat's going to look, you know, there's going to be more sand exposed than usual. So you'll be able to walk out farther than usual. And I would say the same would go for, like, the Brewster Flats. You know, anywhere you have a big expanse flat, um, you know, the water can fill in behind you. Uh, really what what can get dangerous is if you're out there in, in the fog. Uh, I've been out there a couple times where, you know, it's crystal clear when you go out, you know, right around, right around sunset. All of a sudden the fog rolls in. 
uh, you know, you spin around a couple of times and you really can't tell which way the beach is. It's, it's a good idea to just carry a compass w- with you. What uh, about if there's any don't get compass? That's another. See, that's another one for the list. What about uh, smartphone coverage out there? Yeah, I haven't had an issue all over the whole Cape. You, you oh. should be fine. Maybe I'll update my phone to have a compass app too. Besides <laughs> Google Maps, uh, anything else fishing related? I didn't ask before. I get into some of the travel questions what about like bizarre fish what would you catch and just be like that's the strangest thing i never thought i'd catch one you had any of those moments uh, last, so yeah last couple of years uh we've got into northern kingfish uh we found them on the flats probably getting six or seven of them they kind of you know they're i don't know if you have them where you are but they're uh they're almost shaped like a bonefish they have the uh the downturned mouth almost have like an army camo kind of you know olive and dark green pattern to them they run not like a bonefish runs, but, you know, they run pretty good for their size around here. Uh, and they're kind of, you know, digging up crabs and shrimp and things like that. So, yeah, that's a pretty cool fish to catch. You know, every once in a while you hear somebody catch something ridiculous in the canal. They caught a sailfish there uh, a couple couple years ago. Yeah, you fish it. I mean, it's not really a, a big fly fishing place, but if you're out in the canal enough, you see some crazy things. Uh, you see, you know, pods of dolphins go through there. They see whales go through there. My goodness. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you never know what you're gonna see. Someone needs to put a GoPro in there, a couple <laughs> of them because it's so big. All right, so what about where should I be eating? You got like a good breakfast joint if you're gonna be out early that that serves early breakfast. Breakfast joint? Um, not a big breakfast person. I'm kind of a kind of a Dunkin' and Go kind of guy. I do like to sit down and have a nice you know lunch or dinner though. Um, what are some uh, spots you recommend? Uh, well, in Falmouth, uh, there's quite a few restaurants. Um, there's one called uh, Añejo. It's uh, it's kind of a Mexican restaurant, but uh, an authentic Mexican food. Uh, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, there's the dining. I mean, it's kind of hard to to say one over another. There's, there's a ton of dining opportunities. All, all throughout the Cape. My wife and, uh, wants to eat so much lobster that she's tired of eating lobster before she goes home. Yeah, that, they'll definitely. Be oh yeah, there'll be lobster, uh, lobster stands, lobster roll stands. You know, they'll, they'll be all over the place. I'm sure you could find a place to eat a lobster every, every couple of miles if you As really a non- wanted to. Non seafood guy, am I going to be intrigued by some of the things up there? They got stuff for the yeah, land lovers. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great mix. Uh, you pretty much have everything up here. You know, and, and it being, uh, you know, tourist season driven, uh, if the food's not good, the place isn't going to survive. So, you know, a lot of the, you're kind of left with a lot of good food in a, in a small area. What about hush puppies? Is that a thing up there? Not really. Damn. That's what I was looking forward to. Any local foods up there that I've never heard of? Like, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we all eat them in this sort of area. But no one outside of, of that neighborhood or that part of the Cape would ever know of. Like, what would Andrew Zimmer be there eating that he would never have before? It's huh. a good question. I haven't really run into that that much on the on the Cape, to be honest with you. That's more of a uh, more of a Rhode Island thing. Uh, you know, it's a lot of as as, as a foodie. Uh, you know, someday uh, take a trip through Rhode Island, and uh, you'll see a lot of food you won't find anywhere. Uh, uh, seafood, you know, if, like a lot of uh, clam cake shacks down there, which uh, really isn't a uh, a cake at all, like a crab cake. It's more of like a like a clam fritter kind of fried poofball of you know golden goodness. Uh, you know, Dell's lemonade, coffee milk. Uh, it's a lot of a lot of local, a lot of crazy local food in Rhode Island. Um, not not so much at, at is it Frank Pepe's, Don Pepe the. The tomato pie guy in, in Hartford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and stop there. What about places to avoid? Are there just absolute tourist trap neighborhoods where it's all T-shirt vendors and tchotchkes? Uh, not so much. I mean, on really, there's times to avoid the uh, coming on and off the Cape. Friday night is probably going to be the worst time to uh, try to get on the Cape. There's really only 
you know, two ways to get on off the Cape. It's either the can be the Sagamore Bridge or or the Bourne Bridge. And at each at the end of each bridge, there's a rotary. Um, so you know, every car that goes on that you know through that rotary is going to go on the bridge. So you can imagine how far that gets backed up during a uh, during a busy season. Um, so yeah, Friday nights and uh, Sunday late morning to early afternoon probably only two times you're really going to run into a huge traffic problem on the cape the rest of the time it's uh especially during the week it's it's pretty much spread out uh for a tourist you know for a touristy area it's pretty big um there's not really a spot that everybody just flocks to and uh, has the brewery scene hitting hit there yet are there little micro brews popping up where you can go do a little day drinking with the family, do some sampling. Uh, there's quite a lot of, um, definitely a lot of pubs, uh, you know, pub food uh, opportunities. Uh, not so many, uh, you know, micro brews uh, on the Cape. Massachusetts has quite a few in the western part of the state. I know, uh, you know like Treehouse is an excellent one. Um, but uh, down on the Cape, not not so much. It's not a huge microbrew scene like you'd find in like Burlington, Vermont, or something like that. The amount of breweries that open in industrial parks around Northern Virginia is just gone insane. You can go anywhere and just within five miles, you could probably hit up three places now. Wow. It's crazy here. You don't even know what to buy at some of the beer stores. It's just such a variety. <laughs> there used to be one brewery yeah, but- here, Dominion, and that was it. I mean, you'll definitely have a good variety of stuff to buy. Um, just not a, you know, you're not gonna be able to stop into brewery after brewery like you can yeah. in some other spots. Any beers up there that I can't get down here? Those Western Massachusetts ones. Uh, so I gotta ask I mean, the guy Treehouse. at the beer shop. Treehouse. Yeah, that's the that's the guy at the beer shop. Uh, Treehouse is great if you can uh, if you can find it. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I know you can get it everywhere, but if you're in Mass, you kind of gotta have the Sam Adams. You know? Indeed, got to go with the, uh, the historical beer up there. Let's see, what? Uh, where should I pick up a license? At, at the uh, shop? Online. 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 Yeah, it's definitely the easiest way to do it. Um, yeah, we don't. Uh, the shop doesn't sell licenses. Uh, not too many shops do actually. Uh, it's just it's a simple, you know, not even five minute process online to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And that that license, if you buy it. Uh, from Massachusetts will be good in Rhode Island and uh, New Hampshire as well. Interesting. What about uh, rods on shoulders? Do the kids pose with rods on shoulders with their fish up there? I have a hard time with the not, kids posing with the rods on their shoulders. Not more than any other way, I'd say. Uh, usually the fish, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of the uh, striped bass that are, uh, you know, Photo worthy, I'd say, it's going to be too big to worry about putting the rod on, on your shoulder as yeah. well. So, All right. Are there any etiquette things up there? Like down here, not fishing related, but you don't stand on the left side of an escalator in D.C. You'll get yelled at. Anything up there that you, know, you don't want to do to offend somebody on the water, on the beach? Uh, any local traditions you should be knowledgeable of? Just give people their space uh, fishing-wise. Uh, you know, there's so much beach around. You see people hooking up. Don't go run right over to them and, you know, start casting right next to them. Um, uh, you know, culture-wise, uh, there's so many rotaries on the Cape. I would say just make sure you yield at them all. Or are you going to, uh, you know, you're going to wind up in some trouble. Um, rotary as in like, that, a, like a traffic circle? Yeah, traffic circle. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, there's uh, a ton of them. They just and, uh, put one in on the way to my parents' house, and it pisses me off. One lane in each direction, and they put in a traffic circle. I don't get it. Yeah, they're, they're going to drive you nuts uh, oh. when you're, uh, you know, on your, on your stay up here. Great, my Russian father-in-law is going to have a field day with that. He got pulled over once for going too many times around the Pentagon in the eighties. <laughs> Great. Uh, anything else I forgot to ask you? Things you. That's like an FAQ for up there that we forgot to go over. Um, not really. I mean, unless you wanted to talk algae fishing, I don't know if you're into that at all. Um, 
But we could, maybe we could do a fall talk on Albies. Yeah, definitely. We'll schedule that. All right. Uh, if you had a superpower to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Better angler. Talk to the fish. There you go. All right. And favorite Harrison Ford movie? Empire Strikes Back. There you go. Good answer. All right, Anthony. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out, and I'm looking forward to shaking hands with you on on uh, Saturday, this Saturday. Yeah. Anytime, Rob. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.